the way up. There we go. I'm on. Good morning. Welcome to our brand new series that is uh, going to make you happy. All right. Uh, we're going to jump into a book called Philippians written by a guy named Paul. And we would say that this is the happiest book in the Bible. How many of you guys would say we could use a little bit of happiness in this world? Anybody out there? Hey, I just want to know, how many of you guys like that song? Anybody like that song? How many of you guys are like so over that song? I'm still into it. I got to tell you, I'm still liking it. Uh, I just wish I could dance like that guy. Uh, but that is, that is one of those songs that kind of like when you're in it, it's like, man, this is kind of a fun song. It's a good song. So we are, we are going all in in this series to really talk about uh, happiness. Now, we're going to investigate the writings of this guy named Paul, who God gave this guy the uh, authority and audacity to write a book called Philippians. And if you've come this morning, we are, we're going to dive in this thing, and over the next four weeks, we're really going to uncover what it really is about the word that Paul chose called joy and why it is so important for us to have. How many guys know that happiness is something that comes and it goes? How many of you guys have experienced some times in your life where your happiness has come and it's gone? Well, Paul, the writer of this particular book, he writes this book basically 10 years later to the very church that he started in Philippi. So Paul uh, starts a church in Philippi, and 10 years later, he writes back to these folks that he loves because he wants to encourage them. Why does he want to encourage them? Well, because they are struggling with their happiness. Um, I I would first say, when I first start thinking about this guy, Paul, I would have to say, Paul, uh, maybe Paul knew something that we didn't. Maybe he knew something about that church then that that maybe we don't grasp. But something was going on for Paul to say, I'm going to write these guys this letter. I'm going to encourage them. And I'm I'm also going to help them mature a bit because I feel like in this area, they could use some help to grow a little bit. So in this series, whether you're a first-time, first-timer to uh, studying God's Word or being a part of a church, or whether you've been a part of a church for a long time, we're going to dive into this conversation because I really believe that in this world, as Scripture says, in this world, we will have trouble. Scripture says that. In this world, we'll have trouble. Some of you guys are like, uh, Pastor, I brought my guests, my friends here this morning. Can't you be a little more positive? Yeah, I'm positive in this life we're going to have problems, right? That's what I'm positive about. And Paul knew this. Paul knew that in this life we would have problems. And I want to show you real quickly out of the gate what he says. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. He says, I thank God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I will always pray with joy. Now, at first, I'm like, Paul, this is a little over the top, all right? Maybe you're a little self-righteous. Maybe you're a little bit like, like just a little too happy. Maybe you're like the guy who wrote the song. You're just like, ah, I'm just happy all the time. Maybe you've never had any problems. Maybe you're just sort of like the, uh, the guy, you know, just boxed in and not knowing what's going on in life. Maybe he's missing the fact that guys like Robin Williams have taken their life and been robbed of their joy. Maybe Paul was missing, you know, the genocide going on in Iraq. Maybe, maybe he was missing what was going on in his world because he just seems so happy. How, could, how in the world could that be true for a guy? Writing that I always pray with joy. He says, because of your partnership, he's speaking to the people that's get it, that are getting this letter, the people that, that are a part of this church that he, that he was a part of. Now he's encouraging them. He's trying to remind them of their wonderful partnership and how they were sharing the good news of Jesus, the gospel from the first day until now. And all of a sudden he says, hey, as you're reading this letter, guys, I want you to grasp there's something I'm very, very confident in. 
He says, I'm confident that he, which is Jesus, he who began a good work in you will, will carry it out. Will, he, he who began a good work in you, he who is doing something in you, God, who is doing work in us, is going to complete it. He's not going to stop. He's going to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ when he comes back for all of those believers who's placed their hope and faith in Jesus when Christ comes back all the way until the very last day, Paul says we can be confident that we can experience all God longs for us to experience. So again, I'm like, this is a little over the top. I want to say, Paul, serious? Are you, are you seriously saying this is who you are? This is how your, your, your visual is on life. This is your attitude. You're just like always just praying with joy and I want to just say that what's ironic, the irony in this, is that this guy wrote this, not separated from pain and struggle or separate, not, you know, not missing what was going on in the world. Paul was right there in the thick of it. In fact, let me read what, you, he, what he wrote in a book prior to writing Philippians. He wrote this in 2 Corinthians. If we ever assumed you showed up and the, the guy on stage has no idea your pain, your struggle, or the people writing God's Word, they never had a clue of what was real struggle or pain or indifference or whatever. Here's what Paul said he experienced. Here's sort of his, uh, this is like a bad day of Facebook posts, right? This is like, this is not, I'm not pretending, I'm not putting my best foot forward. Maybe you think the first Philippians verse we read is like, just like, I'm just going to let everybody know I'm feeling happy today when I'm really not. Well, if you ever wanted to know where, really, where he really stood, here's like the Facebook po- uh, post from hell, all right? This says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. That's 39, just if anybody's counting. Um, three times I was written or I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent the night and a day in open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits. I love that, bandits. We don't have bandits these days. All right, but he was in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews. That's what's painful to me. That's probably the most painful, right, from people who you well, like brothers with, right, friends with, people you know, I'm in danger from my own people, my buds, my posse. I'm in, danger, I'm in danger from those guys and in danger from the Gentiles. In danger in the city, and I'm in danger in the country. In danger at sea. Everywhere he goes, Paul's in danger and also in danger from false believers. He says, I have labored, I have toiled, I have often gone without sleep. I have known what it's like to be hungry, thirsty, and also completely gone without food. And I've known what it's like to be naked and cold. I've been naked before, but just never cold and naked at the same time. But Paul has, right? Paul has done all these. And here's what's crazy. As he has been writing this book of Philippians, I want you to know, he's been writing not only this book in prison, but he's been writing this book in prison as he's been chained to completely 24 hours around the day, a Roman guard. So I want to show you this picture. Was that picture already up, by the way? Paul, this is Paul's, what scholars believe, this is what Paul's prison cell looked like, all right? Now, when I went to, uh, I went overseas and went to Greece, I got to go to Philippi, and I saw a tomb where they said, this is where Paul wrote this letter. 
Now, there's some other pictures I didn't bring for you, but there's some pictures of where it would have looked like he would have just walked down into like a hole in the ground, and this is where that hole would have been. Now, this is carved out, so you can see it today. So this would tell me that he's not riding with like the sunlight beaming in on him, and like it's all nice, and you know, it's comfy beds, and you know, nothing like our prisons today. Paul is writing this from like a hole in the ground, trying to write... And let people know what God has done in him. Like, come on, man, give me a little bit of space here. I got to write. I'll hold on, potty break, and I got to drag a soldier with me. So here, here we've got this guy writing this book. And I believe with all my heart, if there ever was somebody we could listen to, to help us know what it would be like to really find what he speaks of, this word called joy, it would be this guy, Paul. So here you are this morning. I would just say... Maybe today there is, maybe today there's no accident that you're here. And maybe today God's just brought you to a place to maybe help you visualize that maybe some of your stuff is sort of like a personal prison of what Paul's experienced. Maybe some of you right now today, you're, in a, you're, in, you're like your own little jailhouse, my own little prison of, of maybe loneliness. Maybe you've done everything you could do. You haven't grabbed anybody's heart, no one's attention. You, you get your hair fixed different, you change your clothes, but maybe you're just lonely. Maybe it's single lonely, maybe you're just divorced and lonely. Maybe you're in a marriage and you're the loneliest person on the planet. Maybe you do drive-bys on the way home just begging for there to be another driveway but yours to have to go home to. Maybe that's your prison. Maybe some of you guys are in financial prisons right now. Maybe, maybe you get, maybe they, they slide a nice gnarly tray of food that is actually your visa bill, right? And that's, that's your food that you get served in your prisons. Like, here you go. Here's what you owe us. And here's the interest of like 29.7% of pay us back, and it's going to take forever to pay it back. Maybe some of you, it's the fact that you're raising kids and you're doing everything you can do to try to connect, but it's not working. And because of that, you're in like a serious personal prison of just being so frustrated and bound to trying to make this connection and it not working. For some of you, maybe it's a physical prison. Maybe you found out you have cancer. Maybe you have some sort of disease that causes you some sort of physical ailment and or struggle. And again, you feel like maybe there's the fear and anxiety attached to all these things. Maybe some of you are in a prison of, of work. You hate your job. In fact, to, you, you're, you're loving it Sunday because it's not Monday. This is what Paul talks about. Paul's like, listen, I get it. I get it. I am in prison. And yes, on the outside, this sucks. This is not happy on the outside, but something Paul knew that wasn't on the outside. You know what happiness is. Happiness is something that is really external. You know that? Happiness is external. I can hear that song happy and I can feel good. You can turn it off and I don't feel quite as good. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If I went down the road right now with that blared as loud as I could with my windows down, I would feel happier. But I could, I could shut it off and all of a sudden I could start remembering my circumstances on the outside, all the stuff that's going on that makes me nervous, scared of, you know, I don't know how to answer this question, solve that riddle, fix this problem, raise my kids to be exactly where I hope they could be. 
I can't do all that on the outside, neither can you. We understand that happiness, there's a pursuit. But what we understand, the difference between joy, joy is internal. Happiness, external, joy, internal. And what Paul understood is ultimately joy is a choice. It's a choice. And here's what Paul began to understand. Paul understood that our joy, now get this, our joy is not determined by what happens to me, but what happens in me. There's a huge difference. Because every one of us every day are going to have stuff, things happen to us. Paul says, everything that happens to you doesn't have to change what's happening in you. And that's the difference of joy. Paul can speak from experience in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 18. He says, therefore, we don't, we don't lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly, inwardly we are being renewed every day. Outwardly, things are wasting away. We know we're getting older. How many of you guys have finally come? Well, I have. How many of you guys have, are coming to the realization that you're not getting any younger? All right, I left my 20s a long time ago. I can't jump as high. I can't run as fast. The other day, um, the other day I tried to jump a fence because I went to the gym and I was at, I was do, they were doing box jumps. And I was so proud that I had turned 45 and I could jump with the best of the guys at the gym on the box that was about this high. And I thought, all right, a chain link fence is this high. I tried to jump a chain link fence like a week ago. It didn't work. It didn't work. I got a nice, like, scuff on the side of my leg where I kind of made it over and then it didn't work and I slid down the other side. We're getting older. We understand that outwardly we are wasting away. Yet here's what, here's what can happen. And here's where we're at. Understanding that God knows us and loves us. God wants to do a renewal, a real renewal on the inside. He wants us to understand that inwardly things can be renewing every day. Paul says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs everything else. So he says, and here's the choice Paul makes. Paul says, I'm making a choice. I'm making a choice to fix our eyes or fix my eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary. This body's temporary. Life, as we know it here on this earth, it's temporary. Paul's hope is not on what's temporary. Paul's hope is on something that's eternal. Who would say that, who would say we would, you'd know what, what's eternal? Would God be eternal? Yeah, God created us. He created the world. It's going to be here forever. God is eternal. He knows everything from the beginning to the end. He knows how it's all going to end up. He knows you better than you know you. He's given all of us the opportunity to know him. So what Paul's trying to help us grasp here, that something's going on, that something's going on that can happen inside of us through us knowing what is eternal, what's unseen. When I was a kid, there was a church song they used to sing in like kids church that used to just flat out wear me out. You think you guys get tired of a song after it's played for a few months like happy, happy, happy? Do you guys ever remember the, if you grew up in church, maybe you even heard it if you didn't, um, but you ever heard of the song, I've got the joy, joy, joy? Who, who knows that song? Raise your hand, just raise it. Who, who, who can sing that song? Like, who has good, can, will you come up, you mind? Come on, we, I, I need someone to just come help me sing that song. I can't do this by myself. Last hour, yeah. Yeah, you got, you, do you know it, Monique? 
Monique, will you come up here, please? I just need your help. Come on. Y'all help. Monique, please. Come on. Oh, you got it. You know enough. I mean, everybody knows this song, Monique. You're awesome. You, I know you can sing it. This is Monique. Everybody say hello to Monique because she's coming up here and no one else is. All right, this is what happens when you sit on the first two rows. I see you easier, the lights. Monique, everyone, come on, Monique. All right, Monique, I've got this song. You can hold this mic. No, you better not. I better hold the mic. All right, Monique, all right, I'm going to help you with this song since you said you might have forgot a little bit, but it's really, really easy. It goes, I've got the joy, joy. Joy, joy down in my... And then we'd go, and then, and then where I was from, and you guys already did where I was from, you would say, where? Down in my heart. Where? Down, down in, in my heart. I got the... And then the end, the end of that was, and if the devil doesn't oh, I don't know that like it, he can sit on attack. Right. All right. That was a total bust. Give Monique a hand. Good job. Monique, you're awesome. All right. Here's the deal with that song. I would get so si- sick and tired of hearing that song over and over and over again. But here's what I learned about that song now. I've got the joy, 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 joy down at where? In my heart. See, here's what's profound. Paul is saying... He is saying clearly, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Notice all the prepositions here. With Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Paul's saying, this is what Paul's saying. I can have life. I can have joy because Jesus is in me. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our joy. And if Jesus is in me, then I can have joy that can never be taken from me. Y'all tracking? Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and no longer I, is it that I that live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Who, who does what? Who loves me and gave himself for me. My joy is in Jesus, and Jesus is in me. Let's say it. My joy is in Jesus, and Jesus is in me. And if that's the case, if, if you and I have Jesus in us, then our joy can never be taken by anything on the outside. Right? That's what Paul learned. Paul grasps this profound truth. So everything that happened to him didn't rob him of his joy. What he was really writing to those Philippians is something that he wholeheartedly believed in. He says, that's why I fix my eyes on Jesus. I don't fix my eyes on, my, on the seen things around me, all the circumstances, all the junk, all the problems, because if I fix my eyes on all the stuff around me, I'm just going to walk through life scared, broken, beat up. I'll tell you what, every time, I promise you, every time that I have too much on my plate, a lot of problems, a lot of worries. And I focus my attention on that, trying to solve it, fix it. And if I, my attention's all on that, and I'm like a little, I'm like a scared puppy. I don't sleep at night. I get stressed out. I, I, I've had, I like anxiety, all these stress issues, all this fear. I'm grumpy. I'm grouchy. That happens to me when I'm focusing all my time and attention on everything that's going on, on the outside. But I'm telling you, what God is showing me this week, and I think God's really trying to grow me in this area. This is your pastor. God's trying to grow my joy by helping me to understand that my joy is not anything else out there. It is Jesus in me. And when I can, when I can surrender that Jesus is my joy, when I can really 
surrender to following and placing my hope and faith and being reminded of that through God's word, spending time with God, saying, God, I need you. I'm going to surrender up this fear. I'm going to surrender up this problem. God, I'm going to surrender up this worry. If I'm worried about it, guess what I've just done? I've just taken it away from God to worry about. God, don't worry about it. I got it. God, God's like looking at me like, look, I'm, I'm your daddy. I've, I, I created the world. I know everything about you. I know everything that's going to happen. Don't take the problems for me on you because if you do, they're on you and not me. Paul understood if my joy is in Jesus and Jesus is in me, then my joy cannot be lost. So what you, think, what you might think is robbing you of your joy today could also be the very thing that gives you joy, that could give you joy. Here's what I want to show you that Paul understood. Second thing is this. True joy is based on knowing God has a purpose in it. True joy is always based on knowing that whatever is happening to you, God has purpose in it. You know what? Honestly, at first glance, that doesn't sound all so, so helpful until you really think about it. How many of you guys remember going, uh, in, being in school and just hating the fact that your teachers gave you homework? And going home being like, I don't know why in the world I have all this homework. I still feel that way in some way for my poor kids that come home with a boatload of homework. But I can tell you this much, as a parent, looking at my kids now and seeing them come home going, I hate homework. Why do they give us so much homework? We had school all day. I got to come home and do all this homework. You know why we have homework? What's it going to do in life for us? It's going to help us be more prepared, right? It's going to prepare us for life. At least we keep trying to tell ourselves that, right? But here's the deal. As a parent, I understand the point of homework. I understand there's purpose in it. And when we understand purpose in something, it helps us to grasp the big questions of life. I can have joy when I know there's purpose in it. Two things we've got to start doing. One, we've got to stop asking why, and we've got to start asking what. Most of us walk through life we're not asking the purpose question. We're asking, God, why this? Why is this happening to me? When God along saying, listen, quit asking why. You may not figure out that out until, like, we go home. We go to heaven. You may never figure out the why question, but you can grasp the what question. God, what are you doing in me? God, what are you trying to accomplish in me? God, what are you trying to grow in me? God, what is it that you're trying to do in me? Not why. But what? Let me tell you this pretty terrible, not very good story. Old school story about a farmer who had a mule. <laughs> I told you it was old. All right. So a farmer had a mule. And this mule had gotten so aged and so old and wasn't worth a whole lot that the farmer just kind of took all attention off the mule, didn't really care what was going to happen to him, whether he lived or died. And one day this mule walks over and just trips into the well and falls in the well. Well, the, the, the farmer's not all so concerned. In fact, he's like, uh, kind of spared me the trouble of having to, to, uh, to take this old mule out of his misery. So the farmer had a bright idea. He was just going to take and shovel dirt into the well and just bury the mule. He was going to die anyways. But here's what happened. The, the farmer started, like, shoveling dirt, got his other buddies around that, started shoveling dirt on into this mule. And every time that the dirt started coming on the mule... The mule, he wasn't ready to die yet. 
So every time piles of dirt would come on the mule, the mule would sort of like, I don't know if he did that, but he would kind of like just shake it off, right? Shake it off. And every time dirt would come, he'd shake it off, and the mule would step up on that pile of dirt and get higher and higher and higher and higher. Awesome story. I know you have no idea where this is going, right? All right, so just keep tracking with me, right? So every time, I mean, they're piling, piling all this stuff, trying to bury this mule. The mule's saying, I'm not dead. I'm not done. The mule eventually walked right out of the well, and everybody around who tried to bury the thing just stood there with their jaws dropping open. The point of this story is this. Shake it off and step up. Do you know how many times God wants to use your well as your platform for you to shake it off and to step you up? Here's the deal. Paul's in prison. Paul says through his book that God wants to leverage all your problems, all your difficulties for an incredible sermon that he wants you to preach. In fact, every time you are going through your biggest struggle, just sort of imagine that God's got like a pulpit. I mean, I know we don't have a pulpit in this church. Maybe you don't even have a clue what that is. But God wants to use your problem for you to preach your best sermon. You see what Paul said in Philippians 1 verse 12. He said, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, and here's the proof in the pudding, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. What has happened to me has actually served to advance the good news of Jesus. He says, as a result of him being in chains, as a result of all his struggles, all his, you know, 39 times being beat, all his times of being in the sea, all of his times of being naked and cold, all of his times being dissed by his close friends, all of his times being attacked by false people who just wanted to beat him up and bury the dude, Paul says this, as a result of those things, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard. You see, at one point in time, Paul He wanted to come to Rome and preach to thousands of people. He wanted to show up and deliver this incredible message to all these people. He had no idea he'd be delivering the message to the guy anchored to, chained to, himself. Paul is nowhere where he thought he would be. Completely in the wrong place. Yet Paul had something inside that nobody could steal, no one could take, no amount of circumstance, no amount of just struggle in life, could steal this guy's joy. It's become clear to the whole palace guard. Word began to travel. Everybody knew about Paul in prison. Everybody in the whole prison guard of Rome knew about this guy's faith. Nothing could rock it. Nothing could shake it. Nothing they could do could strip away or dampen out the light that was inside this guy. He says because of that, Everybody knew that I was in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters, that's people on the outside, most of the people who were Christ followers, most of his brothers and sisters who were in Christ also, have become even more confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. You know what happens to me when you're strong? It gives me more courage. You know what happens when I rub shoulders of people that are like walking through their pain and still allowing God 
to be heard through their pain and misery, it gives me strength and courage. I really believe with all my heart that being in prison is a difficult place. But there's no better place to preach your best message. No better place. No better place for someone to know who God is than when we're in a, than when we're in a funk. Paul says this in Colossians 1.27, one of my most favorite verses. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Christ in you is the hope of glory. This is, this is, this is like mind-blowing, right? When Jesus, who is our joy, is in us, no one can take our joy. We can stand on something that can never be rocked, never be taken, because our hope is in Jesus, the eternal forever King of kings, Lord of lords. When our hope, when our joy, and our faith, everything derives from Jesus, and Jesus is in us, our joy cannot be taken. But beyond that, when Christ is in us, it is also the hope of glory. You might be thinking right now, there's no way God could use my mess. I created most of it. <laughs> How many would say you created most of your mess? Yeah, I know I have. Most every problem I have is because of something inside of me, bad attitude, pride, you know, selfishness. Oh, my gosh. I, I, just when I thought I'm no longer selfish, I've had, you know, I gave up some rights when I got married and, you know, lost my space and, you know, the toothpaste and, you know, all those little small things, right? Then I, then I had my first child, then my second, then my third. I thought, man, I got it now, now. No, it's even worse as life gets older. You keep on surrendering more of everything, and it's less about you, and God's going, exactly, this is good. Why? Because over time, over time, over time, God grows us into a place where we can handle stuff. And when we go through struggles, when we go through difficulties, God uses it to champion his message through us. Some of you are here today, and you needed to hear this message because you're looking for hope. Some of you are here today, and your, your life is so messed up, your, your prison of loneliness, your, pre- your financial struggle, God wants to give you himself today. Many of you here today, God wants to give you himself, and he wants you to come to a place where you have 100% certainty that God is your Lord and your Savior, and you have forever eternity with him. Some of that's where you are today. Some of you are just, you're a Christian you, you know God, you've been following God, but you've just forgotten. You've just forgotten who he was. You're for, you've forgotten the certainty of knowing Jesus. And you've forgotten the joy that can be found in him. I'm going to close. We're going we're to walk through this time. And I'm going to give every person here an opportunity to take one simple step. Whether it be a step of I'm already a Christian and I'm going to surrender more of my heart and my attention, not on my circumstances, but feasting my eyes and my attention on Jesus because Jesus is joy and he is in me. Maybe that's your step today. I'm just, just going to surrender today to start stepping towards Jesus. Maybe that would be, hey, I'm going to read Philippians over the next four weeks. I, I'm going to feed myself. I'm not going to wait to show up on Sundays and have someone say, Here, here's a little you know, crumb or a, whatever you like to eat, Krispy Kreme donut. Maybe you just decide on your own, I'm going to feast on God's Word this week. Maybe you start reading Philippians with me. Maybe some of you today, today for the very first time, you give your life to Jesus because He wants to save you today.
He wants to forgive you today. Let's pray. God, we come to you as humbly as we know how, God. Acknowledging that you didn't have to come and give your life and sacrifice it and die in our place. But God, because of what you did on the cross and how you took on the, the whole pain and suffering and sin of the world on yourself, God, you took that on yourself and said we didn't have to. You would do it for us. God, because of that, you offer up to us freedom from our sin, freedom from, from death. God, you offer to us life because once you died, God, you rose from the dead. And you said for every person that would place their hope, they would place their trust, their belief that you are God and you can take away the sins of the world and give us a home for all eternity in heaven. For every person that would place their faith and hope in you, we would be saved. So in this moment, we just reach out to you, God. We'd say, God, save me. Save me, God. I want to make you the leader and forgiver of my life. God, that's our prayer. And our belief is, God, that in this moment right now, you have saved us. We can walk out of here today with you and us, and us and you, and and the starting point of a relationship with you today. God, we love you, and I pray for for many of us that are Christ followers already. God, would you just open our heart to grasping the truth that we read in your word today and help us to take a step closer to following you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's give everyone a hand clap this morning.